1: I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway. The Bible says you are dead in your sins. So, where is the freedom in death? Let's talk about that today on Way of Grace as we explore the myth that man's will is free. Way of Grace is next. Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. Hi there, and welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace. We began a series yesterday simply entitled The Myth That Man's Will Is Free. Now that offends an awful lot of people. Before you find yourself tuning out thinking this is offensive, we invite you to stick around and explore God's Word with us to see what God has to say on the matter, how liberating it really is to understand the truth behind
2: man's will here's pastor jessica Stan and today's way of grace jesus says in verse 35 we're going to work our way through verse uh, 44 because he's now indicting those who practice sin as being slaves of sin so now notice what he's doing here he's saying that the practice of sinning is attached to the bondage of sin Right? Doing the same thing he did in Matthew chapter 7, showing you the origin of the practice is a correlation between the two. You know what that person is by what that person is doing. Here it is, verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Now you see the word servant there? What's that word? Slay. It's the same word in the previous verse. So now what is Jesus saying? A slave does not abide in the father's house forever, but the son does. Now we have, again, the juxtaposition of two people, don't we? Who is the son there? Then who are the slaves there? The Pharisees. And what is he warning? You're not going to remain in my father's house for long by the way you are behaving. Y'all got that? Do you have that? So he's warning them, your nature has evidenced that you are not a son. Because if you were a son, you'd have another outcome in your expression and behavior towards me every time I showed up. And it's important for us to get this. All right. Verse 36, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be what? Now, I want to help you here. We're going to come back. If in fact I am part of that evil group. If I am part of the men who are slaves. That is sinners and practicing sin. And therefore am a slave to sin. And Jesus tells me in verse 36. That he is the one that delivers from slavery. Is that what he's saying here? Then I cannot make the assertion that I can deliver myself from my own slavery. Does that follow? Are you keeping up with me? This is important to get because at the level of the false assumption that humanity is free, they are also there for free to argue, assumably, that they can liberate themselves whenever they want to from any situation they want to, now they are abrogating responsibility to depending upon Jesus to letting them out of their bondage. Does that make some sense? I want to nail that down a little bit because, again, I want to go into Q&A. What I'll show you here how that if we fail to maintain our organizational principle, our organizing principle, that Jesus is at the center of revelatory truth, that he is the revelation of the invisible God, that all we can ever know about anything is revealed to us by him who is the way, the truth, and the life. If I abandon the supremacy of Christ's knowledge, then I am susceptible to falling prey to the lie that I am a free man, can do whatever I want to, Or, and whenever I get into any kind of bondage or trap or snare, I can just choose to walk away from it rather than needing in totality Christ to come and deliver me from my bondage so that I can be free indeed. In other words, if I am the sinner that Jesus is saying that I am, my predicament is such That I cannot extricate myself unless he comes along and deliver me. I am stuck in my state of sin, in my practice of sin, and in my condemnation of sin until Jesus sets me free. Does that make some sense, saints? Right. If that's true, then (laughs) there's not much to my free will right now, is there? It's important for you to get this. And we haven't dug down into all the points we're in front of. Let's keep going. Verse 7 or 37. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. This would take us all the way back to the Genesis narrative with the proto evangel. But we're not going to go there. All Jesus was saying was, you think that you and I have something in common and that we're both Abraham's children. But the reality is, is that you don't know Abraham in the way that I know Abraham, because if you did, you would know me. But because you don't know me the way I know Abraham and the way Abraham knows me, you are seeking to kill me because my truth does not abide in you. That's the essence of what he's saying. Now, we could lift that up and put a pin in it this way. I want you to get this while I have the time. We could lift this up and put a pin in it and say this. Anytime you and I are confronted with the subject matter of freedom of the will or bondage of the will in relationship to the two categories of people being in the same space good people, bad people, saved people, lost people. Anytime we're dealing with the subject matter of bondage or freedom, the people who are not acknowledging that they're really slaves of sin will act like these people and want to kill you for telling the truth about the slavery nature of sin. Did you get that? I want to put that out there again so you can understand what's going on. So if you are a child of God, if you are one of Jesus people, if you've been born again, if there's a new nature in you, where you agree with Jesus, then you're going to end up talking like Jesus in some spaces, and you're going to be confronting people in the same kind of scenario that is going on here. And there are going to be some people who will assert that they are free and you will go, no, you cannot be free because you haven't acknowledged that Jesus is the only one that can liberate you. They are going to evidence that they are neither free nor in a relationship with Jesus by wanting to kill you. Now, what do I mean by kill you? Simply censor your words. Deny what you're saying. Consider it wrong or bad and offensive and would want to make sure that you are punished for asserting that they don't have a free will. Does that make some sense, you guys? I just want you to I want you to understand that Jesus came in front of you to lay out this battle that he engaged in our behalf with the rulers of the whole Old Testament religious system in order to free us up from having to deal with this ourselves without him. So he goes in front to show us when you tell men and women the truth and all who are of the father should be telling the truth. This is what you're going to get from people who are not of the truth. They are going to seek to kill you because the word of God does not abide in them. Now this is going to help you as a mechanism for discernment. When you're talking about something as personal as freedom of the will, it's, 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 to me, it's uh, emotionally vacuous, but it's, uh, it, it's a personal thing with people because if they are holding to their precious idea of volitional freedom as part of their identity, I am a free person, they hold a lot of emotional value to that position. And because they do, if you challenge them on that, you should not be surprised at the heated opposition you get from them when you are challenging them at the level of their identity freedom. Does that make some sense? Yeah. All right. So I want you to get that. So <clears throat> if they argue with you, if they oppose you, if they get irrational because. The moment that I deal with people, even professing Christians around this, they start wrapping up on me. What do you mean I'm not free? What do you mean I can't choose? What do you mean? And I'm go, i going, right, see, now they are in trouble. I know they're walking on rice paper. I know that they are fearful that they might be wrong. So they're erecting an emotional wall because they haven't done the hard work of actually establishing the premise of their assertion. Okay? So when that happens, just know you're going to have to learn how to navigate those retorts in ways in which you can hopefully continue to have the conversation, or they may just take the whole game and turn the table over and and walk away. Okay? Just know that. Because the Pharisees here want to kill Jesus. Okay? Because he's exposing them for being criminal, for being slaves. Here it is, verse 38. Verse 38. I speak that which I've seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Okay, here's another axiom that he's bringing in behind nature, outcome, or fruit. And that is a prerequisite influence driving nature, leading to outcome and fruit. Does that make some sense? All right, so here it is. So let's start with the tree. The tree has a root root. And that root is the ground upon whatever kind of fruit is going to be expressed. Does that make some sense? Right. So the tree is the man. The root is his nature. Here we have a cultivating gardener that is actually uh, cultivating that tree. And that gardener in this context is Satan. Satan is the one cultivating the tree of evil men. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the works of your father you will do. Notice what Jesus is saying now. He's saying, I am of my father and you are of your father. Uh, So you have an evil heart and behind your evil heart is a satanic father. I have a good heart and behind my good heart is a divine father. See the paradox there? All right, so it's important for you to get that here as well. Why? (coughs) Jesus now is upping the ante. He's not only saying that at the nature of human level, that our problem is merely sin, but that we are also controlled by forces outside of ourselves that are demonic in nature. That's the other reality that human beings do not want to acknowledge that this world is controlled by satanic forces. It's one thing for us to say, my dear brother or sister, if you don't know the Lord Jesus in the pardon of your sins, you are a sinner. We have now ide- identified or indicted their nature, haven't we? But then we go further and you are of your father, the devil. Now we are tying them to a spiritual origin of which now they have nothing to be able to do with that. Think about this for a moment. Okay. So if you're told that not only you are a sinner by nature, but your daddy is the devil. Well, how are you going to get rid of your daddy? There's an inexorable tie between you, your nature and your daddy. That is at the root of the behavior and conduct that you're engaging in. For you to actually be extricated, delivered from, liberated from not only your nature, but your daddy, you need someone greater than your daddy to change your situation, don't you? Right. So these Pharisees sitting there arguing with Jesus, they're digging a deeper hole for themselves, aren't they? Right. And yet this is where we go. If we talk about freedom of the will and it's illusory uh, assertion that it can do anything. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus answered them. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, what is the works of Abraham? Abraham believed on God. Abraham followed God. Abraham was a friend of God. God was a friend of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the faithful. Abraham obeyed God. Abraham loved God. Abraham served God. Abraham was a good tree. (laughs) You guys got that? Right. So now look at verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So now you will mark this. Jesus said that they were of their father, the devil, didn't he? And they didn't even argue that. They merely argued that they were Abraham's seed. And so he took that away from them too, did he not? All right, let's keep going. Verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even what? All right. So now they're rising above and owning God as father. When Jesus says, we know your deeds. Now, didn't we already learn back in Matthew 12 about deeds? You shall know them by their what? Fruits. Right. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit. Jesus already said you're bringing forth bad fruit. But now they want to say, I am of God. Isn't that what they're saying? Isn't this contemporary saints? Is this contemporary? Help me, pastor. And I'm glad to help you. The, the, the contradiction of a person whose whole life is evidence that they don't know God. And yet they will quickly own God as their father. Are you guys hearing me? Yeah. Everything in their life indicates that they don't care about God. They don't serve God. They don't study his word. They don't promote his truth. But they will quickly say, God is my father. Are you hearing me? And what Jesus is saying is the evidence does not lead to that conclusion. Now, what he's done for you and me is told us, follow the evidence. Bad fruit, bad source, bad root, bad God. Right. So we can follow it back. And so I don't have a right to say, I agree with you that God is your father when I'm looking at your deeds. Right, it's Jesus is teaching us something here that's extremely important. So, notice what he goes on to say. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. Amen. Now, <clears throat> he closes the loop of the argument, again, at the level of fruit or expression, does he not? or outcome, fruit, result, right? If they were a good tree, guess what the outcome, fruit, and result would be? They would have evidence that they love who? Would that be the outcome? Right? Would that be the outcome? Right. The outcome of them being a good tree, bearing good fruit, making right choices, would be that they would love Jesus. And so what Jesus has plainly told these people is, because you don't love me, you cannot possibly be a good tree. Because I know I am from the Father. I also know that no one can have the Father without me. So when you are rejecting me, you are also rejecting the Father. And this is evidenced by your fruit. All right. So it's important that you understand that we're keeping in line with a thought that I'm trying to build here around the myth that man's will is free. And we're almost there. Jesus is driving us there. Two more verses. Here This Notice Jesus said unto them, God, were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Verse 43. <clears throat> Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my words? This would be another element that would show up in a casual or a serious conversation that you would have with people around something as, um, as intimidating, as tangential, and as important to them as freedom of the will. If the people that you are talking to have enough intellectual thought or enough thinking capacity to know that when you challenge them on the level of the freedom of their will that they don't have the freedom they think they do and that they're not the good person that they say they are and that when we examine the fruit of their life more critically and objectively, the fruit is bad. They're gonna start to demonstrate distortion of thinking and start to actually now kind of equivocate down different paths of argumentation to get away from the hard facts that are being laid on the table in front of them? Because that's what Jesus did with the Pharisees. He laid the facts on the table, and now they're going to try to equivocate around it because the facts are incontrovertible. Does that make some sense, you guys? I know I'm talking, but I'm just trusting that you are thinking well. I'm trusting you are thinking well. Because what will happen is when you're, uh, when you're trying to talk to people about truth, You got to both be able to listen to yourself and listen to them as well. You cannot be so busy about what you are saying as to not be sure to what degree what you are saying is making sense to them so that you catch them at that point of mental distortion. You got to be able to catch them when they become distorted mentally, when they start to, again, uh, very off the path of what you're talking about. So <clears throat> when you're having a good conversation with somebody and you're objective enough to know where they are, you can lead them in the dialogue. Even if they don't agree with you, you do not need them to agree with you. You need them to understand you. You don't need them to agree. You need them to understand you. More than that, you need to understand them. So along the lines of your talking, you get to that point where you go, okay, we're hitting the wall. We're hitting the wall. You've been there? We're hitting the wall. Okay, I need to stop right there in my mind. I need to either regroup how I want to now approach this point of conflict in our dialogue or back up and let them do a bit more talking so we can create another pathway to progress in our discourse. Does that make sense? All right, good, all right. Why do you not understand my speech? It's even because you cannot now what? All right, so if you're tracking, here's what happened. Jesus said one thing earlier, my word is not in you. That's what he said earlier. Now he's saying, you can't hear my word. So on the one hand, it's not in you, And on the other hand, you're not letting it in. So there's no way you can naturally follow with me in wholehearted agreement because you shut the word out yesterday and you're shutting the word out now. And so you're simply tolerating me until you can push back and stop the conversation. Right. That's what's going on in the discourse here in John 8 verse 44. Here it is. Now, I want you to get this because this is where we're going to close and pick up our outline. Ye are of your father, the devil origin. That's the root of the tree. Ye are of your father, the devil and the lust. That is the expression. That is the inclination. That is the drive. That is the passion. This see the word lust right there. That will be a synonym for volition. I want you guys to get that. If you don't know what free will is or the will of man, it's the idea of volition. Volition is always the desire, the passion, the bent, the inclination, the drive, the aspiration, the want to, the want to. Here's what Jesus said. You are of your father, the devil, and his want to, you will do. His want to you will do. His lust you will do. It's the analogy again of a slave master owning you and telling you, this is what I want you to do. And you doing it.
1: We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we are together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ, our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886- 9782. That's 510 886 You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe, worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you hearing God's word, growing in his grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. I don't care what thing I say.